0: Greetings those who are born eternally hungry. This is Paula Española. You're listening to another episode of Hidden Apron Radio where we talk to cooks and diners of all shapes, sizes, colors, and appetites to try to find out how can we get closer to our food and be a little bit more mindful of what we stuff down our gullet every single day. Whether it be getting very tactical and learning about cooking techniques, uh, the history and culture behind our food, Or just to get a sense of how do normal people like us eat and enjoy their food? Which is no exception today, as today's guest is a very special one for me. Um, And in many ways, this podcast actually wouldn't exist had it not been for her lightning-fast way of crushing my then-long-running dream of owning a restaurant. Now, before anyone freaks out and says, Oh my God, how could she do that to you? This was actually a very good thing, and let me explain why. I think at that time... It was a very important lesson for me on being really mindful about my goals and dreams versus just tying myself down stubbornly to one thing even though it no longer made sense or uh, in the face of something that might have been better uh, that would come along. So had she not poked holes in all of the reasons why I wanted to own a restaurant, I don't think I would have ever considered starting Pop-Up Dinners uh, or the blog, this podcast, much less even think up the concept of Hidden Apron. And you'll notice throughout this interview uh, just how thoughtful she is and combined with her childlike sense of wonder definitely makes you fall in love with food and rethink many of your core beliefs around it, just as I had uh, two years ago when I first met her at her restaurant. I'm talking of none other than Amy Bessa, Tita Amy as I like to call her. She's a veteran restaurateur who, with her husband Rami, operated both Lun in the mid-90s in Soho, New York, and now Purple Yam, which has uh, locations both here in New York and Brooklyn and in Manila. Both restaurants are critically acclaimed, and they've been written up multiple times by many, many esteemed publications, including the New York Times, where Purple Yam was actually named one of the top 50 restaurants in New York by the food critic Sam Sifton. Amy, though, is much more than a restaurateur, as she regularly writes uh, from her frequent posts on Facebook. If you have a chance, add her. Uh, I learned so much more from one of her posts than maybe a week of Googling by myself. And she will cover everything from, like, the nuances of Filipino cuisine. Uh, She also wrote the book Memories of Filipino Kitchens, which is the first Filipino cookbook I've ever read back in college. And it was actually a big reason... Uh, in helping me see the beauty in a cuisine that I... When you grow up with something, I kind of formerly relegated to stuff we just ate every day. She's also given many, many talks about the Filipino cuisine and is a significant contributor to commentary and critique back home in the Philippines. So just like Amy's background, uh, she had a brief stint on Wall Street, for for some of you who may not know that. This podcast goes much, much deeper than just Filipino food. Uh, And once you listen a little closer... This episode is really, to me, a love letter to food itself and how we can recognize the miracle that food is from the simplest plate of rice or the Philippine mango, for example, and and the romance that's kind of inherent to growing and dining, not just Filipino food, but food overall, and how we can gain that sense of wonder even in the most mundane things and in the face of uh jadedness you could say especially since with many 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 years in the industry one would think oh you know she must be tired of it but that's certainly not the case and you'll find out why with this episode with the many issues we face today i think it was very refreshing for me To hear such a hope-filled and inspired talk, and and through it all, uh, Tita Amy's passion and joy was very evident and very infectious. If you've dined at any of her restaurants, or even just met Tita Amy, you'll know what I mean, as she and the restaurant have amassed quite a following around the world who still make their pilgrimage to the restaurants that she owns, and actually when we were recording this episode, uh, a guest uh, actually interrupted us near the end and told us, that you know they've known them for years and and they could not think of a better place to hold their wedding party except purple Yam. so he went out of my way of his way to tell me that so that's a testament to just how powerful Tita Amy and and Romy are in bringing people together through the restaurants so while we do cover some tactical things uh, on this episode such as you know how you could have a better relationship with food um and and gain more knowledge in the actual act of cooking this episode is more for the dreamers abstract thinkers uh, the romantics out there I suppose because we cover very big heady topics like authenticity cultural appropriation culinary elevation air quotes for those who can't see me the quest for knowledge all of these are very very complex abstract topics that you know can really change the way you look at food and Tita Amy really manages to parse parse it out in, in very simple terms So just two disclaimers before we get into the episode. We recorded this actually right at Purple Yam in the middle of the restaurant as it was being prepped for a wedding party, which in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have done. And and this was the first time I used a two mic setup, so it was a bit noisier than our previous episodes. I tried to clean it up as much as I could, so I hope it doesn't detract from the episode too much and instead enhances its uh, flavor, no pun intended. Uh, but I do apologize beforehand for for the little bit of background clinking you'll hear. Second, as with my previous interactions with the Amy, uh, sometimes the best approach when meeting someone as wise as her is to just let her talk, because she does have a lot to share. So I, I pretty much tried to stay out of her way on this one. The story actually picks up in the midst of my sound check with her, and yes, that it 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 was that good that I just jumped the gun and started recording without a formal introduction Uh, and where we pick up is we were discussing the new book she's writing right now entitled Hidden Flavors Open Kitchens and the meaning behind the title and we kind of just roll through from there. So without further ado I hope you get inspired as much as I was with Tita Amy Bessa.
1: I came up with the title for the second book which is Hidden flavors, open kitchens. And it was only yesterday or the ne- the last, no, not yesterday, but the last few days when I was writing it up for the publisher. Yeah. It find the day after Labor Day, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I timed my submission to the day after Labor Day because I there was no way I was going to send it. In August, when people are out or not in the right mindset, right? right? So I, I started writing it up on Labor Day and and or the day after Labor Day, and I wrote it up in like thirty minutes. Wrote what? The proposal. Okay something that I had been thinking about for the last three or four months.
0: But it only took like having the to topic. Then when I,
1: I wrote it for yeah. the first time, I understood what I was... It was the first time I understood. It's like it became crystallized, you know? I had no idea that it, this was what it meant when mm. I, I came up with that title. I see. But then I realized what hidden flavors... Open kitchens finally meant. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I mean, I got so excited. When no, I, and and I think. When I realized what it. And it's so funny that you think of the title, you think of the terms and the and the words, yeah. but you kind of know that it has a special meaning. But yeah. it's only at the time that I was writing it that finally. You know, because when I first thought about open kitchens, I just. I had a physical uh, concept of it.
0: Of what an open kitchen looks yes, like. Bec- yes, yeah.
1: well, because I came up with the title when uh, based on our foraging and cooking a meal in Batulao ah, Forest. I saw the pictures of those. Yeah, yes. I remember that. Yeah. Because a rainforest has a canopy and it's a natural stand which means nothing in there is man uh, no intervention by man right. happened there right so then we opened up uh, when we set up a table and a cooking uh you know all the cooking pro- processes we found the clearing mm-hmm. in the canopy because that's where the light was coming in it was a bit brighter and that's where we started cooking and eating yeah so for me that was that literally was the open kitchen mm-hmm. and it was so beautiful you know you cook under the skylight Yes. Yeah. nature's skylight yeah but when I was writing this up I find it it dawned on me what open kitchens meant okay and for me, it answered this whole issue of authenticity. You know, people think that they know what authenticity means. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, they they look at it. They look at authenticity in terms of their own experience. But when I started thinking about it, what is authenticity, right? Mm. Because it's something that I've always said, that's a fake issue. Mm. But then it finally dawned on me, you cannot say it's a fake issue because it is an issue for people. Yeah. So you just have to be able to crystallize it and and, and articulate it enough so that it covers a lot of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, you know, when... I realized what it meant after this experience of going from New York to Manila, opening up a place in Malate, and then coming back here for the summer, it finally dawned on me what authenticity means. And for me, it's whatever nature gives you, right? So that's how I define food that was always ours. I, I went back to my own definition of that. Yeah. It's what grows around you and what you do with it. Right. But what makes it authentic is your palate. Because no matter where you are, no matter what kitchen you cook in, if you look if you take what nature gives you and you look at you follow nature And the flavors that it gives you and then you cook with your palate which is your palate that you grew up with that you develop wherever you were Mm. so if you grew up in the Philippines you have a Philippine palate right so if you take whatever nature gives around you no matter where you are Mm -hmm. and you cook with your palate for the memories of your palate then it is Filipino food so are you saying then right
0: that let's say let's take someone who grew up in the Midwest have have never tasted the okay you're
1: talking about the Fili- Filipino yeah yeah a You grew up okay. in the Midwest let's say. And, okay. yeah,
0: and the parents have cooked sinigang from the packet for them before and they grew up and they're like okay sinigang it's sour so when as they were growing up one day they decide to move and they couldn't find this magical yeah. sour packet yeah and they said why don't I use lemons because that's what's growing around here or rhubarb or whatever by that definition are you saying that their sinigang is still authentic
1: you know for them that that will be authentic ah okay yeah but I would like to raise the issue of studying the palate Mm -hmm. based on natural food what do you mean by that On, on real food yeah so if you grew up with a package, yeah. I would recommend that they understand what the flavors that that package was trying to imitate.
0: Yeah. Whether it's yes. Coyaban or, or... So that
1: means the palette still has to go some way. Ah. Because I am saying that we need to look at nature and the flavors. For me, authenticity goes back to what nature really gave you. Mm-hmm. So, you know... You cannot fault someone who was raised that way. Mm-hmm. But then, and for that person, it is authentic. Yeah. But I raise the whole point of what is really authentic has to come from nature. So if you grew up with that, then it's, it's our responsibility. Yeah. And that's why I have this book. I'm yeah. going to do this book. Yeah. To say, look, these are where those flavors came from. I see. Okay. I
0: see. So what what's the yeah. if Karina you were talking about the open kitchen, right? Why hidden flavors?
1: Okay. Again, you know, I look at flavors that come from three things mm-hmm. the unknown, the ignored mm-hmm. and the undervalued. Okay. So that covers both exotic and common things that go right. around us. Right. Okay, that's why I think, you know, if you really look at people and their uh, relationship to food, you can basically divide it into two groups, mm-hmm. the urban and the rural, okay. the rich and the poor, okay? If you're rich or affluent or you, you, and you're in the urban area mm. chances are your orientation to food is a bit westernized yes very true I was just okay. having this discussion in the morning Yeah. right and your set of values would be skewed to being western yep but if you're in the rural areas it's not true so it's almost like there are two countries here you know and if you go and spend time in the rural areas they are exposed to so many flavors and to to so many plants and it's amazing yeah it's amazing like those are the hidden flavors you know um because they are in our environment and people in the rural areas eat them and they use them for cooking but because of the values that the urban people have put on western and foreign and imported and local and rural people do not talk about
0: yeah i remember when i was in Antique, we used to have um there were these ferns and i forgot what they were called now but there were ferns on the roadside and i'm like you know you could eat that right and they were like no you can't and i'm like who told you that yeah we would go home and they're like do you guys want jolly or chicken you know fried chicken or whatnot so i could totally see that but for you especially since i know you traveled a lot for even the first book what was what's an example of a flavor that you came across that you were like either it was ignored for you or undervalued okay
1: okay you will never find that in a high-end restaurant. That's true. Never. Yeah. But we serve it, okay? Because it's kind of slimy. It's so, that's woody. like malader- Malabar spinach, right? Is that it? Yeah. In English, yeah. It is. Yeah. It's not like it is yeah. Malabar spinach. And you know, depending on the variety you get or how old or young it is, it can be a bit unpleasant. Right? Yeah. But it's very. It's con- considered low class. Even sinigang was considered low class. Really. For a long. Do you think if you went to a high-end Filipino restaurant before, that they will serve sinigang?
0: I've never seen back in, in my head, high-end and Pinoy never went together back in my head. You know what I mean?
1: Exactly. You know, um, alugbati for me is it's almost like uh, an ignored. It's an ignored flavor. Mm-hmm. It's but it's whenever I post about it, mm-hmm. it, so many people come up with that like. Oh my God, I love alupati. Yeah, yeah. you know I grew up with yeah. it. I remember like so many memories get stoked up. yeah. so that means it's hidden because nobody talks about it. Do you th- do you think people would write about it? It's not in most cookbooks, you know and if you look at Filipino cookbooks, like the modern ones yeah. that they want to be very western mm. you'll never find a Lumpati Yeah. and you know there's so many things like even tamales mm-hmm. I thought there were only two types of tamales right the Pampanga and the Cavite because those are the only two tamales that people talk about and it's because they've become commercialized mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that they exist in so many provinces yeah they're all over the place, but see nobody talks about. Them.
0: Or even a more a more common one would be adobo because I remember, I think it was when I was in college. I think I was a sophomore in college, so I'm trying to think back how many years that is. It's the first time I saw your recipe in adobo that had gata, mm. and like everyone that I talked to was like, "There's only one way. Everyone knows there's only one yeah. way. You could mess up the proportions a little bit, but."
1: And they said, "It th- looks like, screaming gata? at yeah. us." There's no way you put coconut in adobo. Yeah. But that's three quarters of the country that use coconut milk but in adobo. But we aren't adobo. talking
0: about it. You know, because
1: what? It's because people in the urban areas in Manila
0: hmm.
1: are not used to putting gata. Yeah. So for them, you know, that is the norm. But, you know, you go down south to Bicol and the Visayas, they put gata.
0: I think part of it is one, and that's why I find your post very useful, right? Because otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have become aware of something like that. And I think that's why, for me, when you were saying it's so exciting that you're getting this book crystallized, like I'm doubly excited because I think your first book was amazing. I want to see the second one come out like ASAP. But it reminded me of something you said during an interview a while back, where you said, "We don't need to elevate the food. We need to elevate us." To the food, yes. And one of the things that I'm thinking of is, let's take again the the Philam who grew up in the Midwest with no, the palate has not been developed. How how do you go about doing that? You know, if they're if they're not fortunate enough to have gone on an excursion or tasted well, they it. can
1: start with their own environment. You know, follow nature. Anywhere you go, you're you can get a market, right? You can get a farm, right? That's why, you know, we. I take, we take advantage of the green markets here. And it doesn't matter whether they're Asian or Western produce. We take advantage of them. And because there are so many parallels. You know, for example, the plums right. that you get here, you think they're Western, right? Mm-hmm. But Siniguelas is a plum you know like the fig yeah that's like guava
0: like when you were posting about the fig ice cream
1: you know when Romy was making fig pizza here yeah we can make that with guava
0: see that's interesting because if we went about it and just said we need these exact ingredients if you told me fake pizza i would have said oh isn't that italian
1: put some cheese and honey on it and that'd be italian you know yeah but we make cheese and honey in the philippines yeah 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 and it will be ours because if the cows grew up there and they ate our grass and and it's a filipino that makes the cheese and it's your your sensibilities are involved even if it's italian style cheeses it's still philippine cheese yeah because it's made in our environment and honey we have so much honey in the Philippines and that is ours That those are our flavors mm-hmm. because where do you think the bees got yeah, their where, the,
0: the, where they pollinate and all yeah, that yeah the,
1: where did they get the nectar and all that that's from lawan from acacia from from all the fruits and so many sources right so if you get, if you harvest honey from a forest, those are our flavors.
0: Would you say, because I remember when I was here, you said there's so much good happening in our food lately. Yeah. Do you think that our respect for our own ingredients has risen? Or do you think that it's in a decline? Or, For example, here's a, here's a, here's, I'm trying to frame the question in a way that makes sense. When I went back to Antique, they were making laswa. Right? I love laswa. Yeah. All the tops, right? Yeah, all the yeah, yeah. Like talbos all and these all those fresh that. vegetables. And at the end of it, they were like, oh, okay, we're going to flavor it now. And I remember you talking about native salt and whatever. If they wanted seasoning, there's so many other ways we could flavor it, even without using salt. And out comes the packet of magic setup. And me and my dad were like horrified. Yeah. And going back to nature, do you feel like our respect? for what's around us today in Pinas, our ingredients, our native ingredients is rising or are there, is it in the danger of being overshadowed by, I don't know, the new, how new food is being looked at today? Are we, are we neglecting our own stuff basically? No, no,
1: you know what? I believe that the Filipinos know how to preserve Mm -hmm. what is theirs. That's the one thing that Ray Soklov came up with when he went to the Philippines. He found That in our culture, Filipinos know how to absorb foreign stuff, but they also know how to preserve their own. So I understand that there's so much influence, uh, and it's an aberration. There's so much marketing influence. Mm -hmm. But I think inherently, Filipinos know how to preserve their food. Because that's what Ray said. We are the one culture that he encountered where indigenous foods and foreign foods coexist peacefully. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess you have this beautiful lassoir, right? But then it will be flavored by magic sarap. Yeah. But I don't think that is the death knell of Filipinos because. The underlying knowledge of making laswa is still there. Yeah. All you have to do is re-educate people about the magic sarak. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you remove that, the, the food is still there. It's just a layer. Mm-hmm. It's an artificial layer that people have been brainwashed to think that their food is not that good. They need these things some to enhancer improve, yeah, yeah. To, yeah to so there's so
0: there's no danger of like for example you were talking about or batuan of course batuan is heavily used in Visayas when we sour our sinigangs but uh, this would be an extreme example if people stop using batuan to flavor their sinigangs obviously the demand for the ingredient will go down yeah. people will cultivate it less and then it just one day it's just gone you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. so you're basically saying that there's no danger of that happening I don't overall. think I
1: wouldn't be worried mm-hmm. Because a lot of what we have is preserved. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, the, I think the danger will be when ingredients die out. Right. But as long as the ingredients are there, I think people in the rural areas use them. We, ha- we know nothing about what happens in the rural areas. Absolutely nothing. Do you it's think so It's so scary to find out.
0: Is that, a, is that a, because I, I feel like there's parallels of that even here in, in the States, right? When people talking about farming, but yeah. do you think there's something unique about that issue to the Philippines yes. or is that a global?
1: Because uh, first of all, we have 12 months of growing period. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, we have one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world even when species disappear, new ones appear. Yeah, we, we have a very, very fertile environment. Mm-hmm. And I think once people understand that, they will really appreciate the food. And where do we get the food? From the environment, right? right? I mean, you know, I just found out that uh, my friend Bea was telling me, oh do you know that in the rural areas they love to burn a lot of things to char or to toast leaves twigs seeds whatever and they make them into coffee or tea like it's <laughs> like oh my god yeah like the only what? coffee i know is capping no but... well, i knew there was coffee from burnt rice but yeah. i had no idea no idea that all kinds of seeds and peas yeah, and, know that. and beans or whatever yeah that they find they will toast it and make it into a tea or a coffee mm. because it's it's something that they do you know mm. oh and then this forest guide from Batulao Forest told me well you know when you know what people do in the rural areas like you know how we always like to to pair flavors yeah one flavor is to offset another, right? Like if they eat Lanzones and the Lanzones is so sour, they will bite the seed, which is bitter to, to, offset, counteract, yeah. to counteract the, the, the sourness. And, and she said they do that also with mangoes.
0: Biting the seed?
1: Yeah, like the small mangoes. Ah. Because mango seed is very bitter. Yeah. It never hit me that bitter is used to counteract sourness. I've always thought of salt or sugar Mm -hmm. to counteract sourness, but never bitter. And And it's already there. You know, it's like, see, this is what I mean by following nature's guide. You know, you look at nature. What did nature do? Okay, Nature made that fruit with a bitter seed. Now there's a reason why the seed was bitter. Either the you know.
0: It's usually, took, so the animals don't. Yeah. So, so that, yeah.
1: but people found a way to use it. So that's what I mean. That's that's what I'm talking about when you. I say that's our food mm-hmm. because it's what grows in nature and what people do to it. That's our food, like biting Lanzones seed to offset very sour Lanzones, that's, I mean, my mind just exploded.
0: I was actually, that was actually going to be my next question about having like, you know, these mind exploding moments because I feel like you, you get so many of that by being in the field. But the other side is you, you know, you obviously go in public and, and speak about your experiences. Are there certain things that you've said that, that always, it doesn't fail to
1: surprise people? Yeah, I get a lot of that. Mm. I get a lot of that. You know, even uh, my Facebook posts, and I put out a lot of that. Mm. And everybody that follows me, I mean, once, in know, I I get to talk to people who follow my posts, and they'll rattle off things that I've put out, which is shocking. What do you mean, rattle off? They'll, They'll tell me what I posted. Oh, you know that Yeah, yeah, no. that, I know. That just telling you the same thing. mind blowing. Like yeah. I don't even remember, remember I that yeah no no that's <laughs> we just had that conversation say, two weeks ago. You no, know, right? I remember when you did this, like and I don't even know these people. And a lot of people said, you know, you make Facebook for me because I learned so much and I say, Oh, okay, that's that's great. No, because I try to learn as much anyway. Mm-hmm. And when when I share some things because I've just learned it and I'm just so excited to learn it so it's just like I, I just want to like pass it on you know yeah. but you know that's just what I want to share with people and I, I really just wish people would just have that excitement also have you ever you know well, you, you could... know during the Madrid fusion yeah I gave a lecture at the Congress and I just spoke about the two ways to look at the food Food that was ours and food that was borrowed. Right. right. A week later, one of my friends calls me from his car, and he says, "I've just been talking to my friends, the ones they listen to your talk." Mm -hmm. And then he repeated exactly what I said. He said, "Oh my God, this is so amazing to look at our food—food that was ours, food that was borrowed." I mean. He was repeating those things to me. And I said, oh my God, I've been lecturing this for 10 years. And it's been going like this, right? Yeah. But it's finally latching on to people.
0: I think part of that is is social media, you know? Because I remember you made a a very long post about our relationship with Mexican cuisine. And this was like last year, a long time ago. And then someone uh, who's a friend of mine who cooks out in California was like, hey, I'm, uh, I want to do a dinner that shows the connection. Do you guys have any resources? I went back to your timeline, scrolled all the way to last year, and tagged him. You know, like, we couldn't do that before. Yeah, yeah, so I think yeah. that's something that's helping us today. Like, if I wanted to tell someone, reference something you said a year ago, I couldn't do that before. Because like, without Facebook, yeah, how could I? Yeah, I think a lot
1: of that came from Nils Bernstein. Who's, of... who's Nils? Nils is a... He's a brilliant guy. who's a very good friend of ours. Uh, who is a Mexican? He's American, but he's really into Mexican food. Mm-hmm. He goes there two or three times a year and like immerses himself. And ever since he got to know us, he's been like digging around for see Filipi- the connection. Yes, ah, the Filipino ah. connection. So he wrote me this long thing, and I took out a bit of that. That that
0: post alone was it's been tagged several yeah. times. Yeah. That little bit over yeah. there. I think this 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 mindset of continuous learning, right? I, you're not the only one who brings it up. There's a lot of people who bring it up for not just food but everything. How we should always be learning. Has there ever been a point where you were jaded about it all? No. You know?
1: I've always loved our food. Since day one. I also love Western food, right? Mm-hmm. I was also like, you know, aspirational. Yeah. Okay. When especially if you've never been out of the Philippines and you're inundated with all these Western magazines and yeah. cookbooks and all that. So I always dreamt about, oh, when I go to the States, this is what I'm going to eat. Mm-hmm. I would love to have those chiffon cakes. Or yeah, yeah. All those whatever. But and again, you know, this is what Ray Sokolov said, right? We could be total lovers of the Western culture, but you, you also love Filipino food. And that was me. And one did not negate the other. They're not mutually exclusive
0: right? No. right. But, but when I say jaded, I, it's not just about the food, but I, I think your case is especially rare because some other people that I talked to who have not been on the podcast, but who have been in the game for, for enough times when they peel back the curtain and really see how the sausage is being made they're like ah oh, like, this is crap like the, the, the romance comes out of it you know? how do you how, how have you kept that for lack of a better phrase almost like childlike wonder about our food still alive throughout all these years of still you know, being excited about well,
1: it well you know a lot of people look but they don't see yeah. you know, a lot of people here they don't listen a lot of people taste but they don't save
0: very that's very yeah. that's almost zen like what do you, could you could you clarify what do you mean what's
1: you know i look at everything for the romance and the potential every single thing nothing escapes me mm-hmm. it's something that i've developed mm-hmm. So, I can make something out of something that a lot of people will ignore. That's why, you know...
0: Going back to hidden flavors, right? Yes.
1: You ignore, you undervalue. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't ignore, I don't undervalue. Mm -hmm. And I look for new things. If you have that mindset, you will never get jade, Never. Because, you know, everything I see is amazing. Mm-hmm. Salt is amazing. No, if you really think about it, no. Every piece of food that gets to you, just think about where it came from. Yeah. And you know it's am- well, you know what is amazing. if You have a plate of vegetables. Even just the rice, the heirloom rice. Yeah. Just imagine how it got to you. Yeah, that's uh. That's how actually- did it survive thousands of years? That means families, generations of families kept replanting it so that future generations can taste it. And why do they plant it? Why do they replant it? You know why? Because they liked it enough. Okay? If they did not like it, it will not exist today. Yeah. So whatever you're not eating now, never got replanted because they did not like it enough
0: mm-hmm.
1: just think about it
0: yeah that's actually um, I have this book called how to eat it's written by a, I think he's a zen buddhist Thich Nhat Hanh that's actually like one of his meditations it's like if you really want to brighten your day just look at what you're eating and really like think about yeah. the simplest me like a slice of white bread like how, how much it, effort goes into yes, getting that exactly. onto your plate
1: how much resources went there Yeah. how much water how much nutrients from the soil went there Mm. took a long time right? you know that's why natural food, that's why for profit food companies use a lot of fake stuff Mm -hmm. because it doesn't cost that much Mm -hmm. it doesn't take that long to produce it whereas if it came from nature it costs you know you have coconut sap vinegar. You know how long it takes to, for the coconut to drip, 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 drip and for how long you, you can accumulate a big container of coconut sap that mm-hmm. you will turn into vinegar or sugar or whatever. Yeah. Wine, lambanod. That's the tree producing nutrients supposedly to feed a flower that will turn into a coconut. It's, it's so, just, like, just think about it. It's so amazing what nature can do. And it has, nature has a logic of its own. And that's what I always continue to crack. Every time I encounter something, why, why did nature do it that way? You know? Like, why did nature put a bitter seed there? Why did, why, why is it that when a fruit or, or a cucumber gets old, it becomes bitter? Maybe it's because it's ready to sprout its seeds and it doesn't want to be eaten, right? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, for me, that you know, even simple cucumber becomes very, very interesting. Yeah. And then. All you do is every time you get a cucumber, you get hundreds of varieties of everything. And everything has a different taste. Right. Different flavor. And even if it's the same thing, you grow it in one place, you grow it in another place, it'll taste different.
0: I was just at a tea tasting in Flushing, and she was saying, we think of tea as like black, red, green, white, that's it. But she said, no, we will grow... If it's the same leaf from a different elevation on the mountain, Exactly. Totally different. If it's grown on the other side of the mountain, Completely different. And this is a five-minute walk. And she said completely different.
1: Coconut trees. hmm Somebody from the DNR, DNR told me they did a study of one tiny little hill. hmm Or one tiny mountain. This was in the Philippines? Yeah. Okay. And there were coconuts on the top of the hill. There were coconuts on the side. There were coconuts at the bottom. Yeah. And everyone tasted different. Depending on the, the sun, the wind, the soil there. Yeah. It's all different.
0: And, and I guess maybe going back to my question of being jaded, maybe the reason people get jaded is because they don't get that variety. You know what I mean? I see if I go to a supermarket, I see at most three types of tomatoes.
1: You know what makes people jaded? is this demand by for-profit corporations mm-hmm. that makes everything the same. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's so, homogeneity. you know, like, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the goal for McDonald's is if you go one to one in New York or you go to one in Philippines or you go to one in... It
0: should be the same experience. It should yeah.
1: be the same. It's the exact opposite of what nature does mm-hmm. because it is not predictable nature is not predictable but if you understand that and you follow that then you're smart right, right. it's when everything is the same to you that's when you become dull and yeah, stupid yeah, right yeah. because your brain stops working Yeah, your brain stops interacting with your environment mm-hmm. you need to you know you need to interact with everything mm-hmm. then you're alive
0: when you say alive I remember watching a youtube video of you when you went to enderun yeah and, and oh
1: wow what did i say there
0: no it was it was actually not what you said but what the students said so there was a segment of it where they were interviewing the students about the session that you put together and one of the students was like I live in the Philippines I thought I knew what our food was it's adobo it's kare kare cool and he said but when I was exposed to all this suddenly our cuisine becomes exciting again it becomes you know what I mean it's like you're
1: because you so have to... the opportunity to make changes yeah. yeah and you know why and you know how mm-hmm. you know if you try to make changes in the food without knowledge all you're doing is playing mm-hmm you're not innovating, you're not doing creative stuff. And I see a lot of that in all these trendy restaurants. Mm-hmm. They put this, they you know, they put bacon in everything. It's like, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. So if you want to play with food, you have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand what flavors you're working with. Yeah. You have to understand what ingredients you're gonna use, do they make sense? And how do you know that? You study nature. Yeah. Because nature is the best cook in the world. Nature produces every flavor you can imagine. There's no invented flavor. You know? Mm-hmm. We always imitate what nature does. Right. But nature makes all the flavors. And they when you put it all together, that's where your nuance is. And, you know... That's why you appreciate nature because it's unpredictable but it has a logic. Yeah. And if you understand that and you try to realize what nature is doing, you can disguise the limit yeah. when it comes to productivity and creativity and imagination. It's, it liberates you if people get jaded, it's their fault. Because food is so exciting. Yeah. And and you can tell when somebody is really doing it properly mm-hmm. and you know when somebody's just winging it. Because it doesn't... It doesn't make rhyme... It doesn't make sense. For me, that's my first test. You have to make
0: sense.
1: You have to be trying to accomplish something and you have to have a reason why and if you don't have that that means you didn't think about it you didn't try to learn anything you didn't read anything you didn't taste you didn't experiment everybody like throwing 20 million things in one dish
0: which feels very you know almost very different from usually when when you hear the stereotype of cooking like oh I just feel my way through it you know yes. And but when I looked at that video plus what you're saying now there's a lot of like cerebral terms right like you have to be conscious you have to be mindful you have to think about yeah, you what to... you're doing
1: just like anything right I mean if you want to put a podcast together you've mm-hmm. got to think about it you've got to prepare you're not just going to come in here wow, well, I don't know let's wing this which I've seen well I've seen a lot of
0: people also approach life like that which is like they come just feel through it right I'll just feel feel
1: my way through it that's shit you know that well because you have to be contributing something and if you're just regurgitating something that people already know and what's out there don't even bother wasting my time
0: or I think worse skewing what's been there I think for me I think that's a Yeah, because you know for
1: me I don't want to waste your time Mm -hmm. that's why when every time I get interviewed I have I I have to make sure that I share something that's really amazing or something that I discovered or something that would be worthwhile for people Mm -hmm. if you say what people would already is common sense don't bother
0: Mm -hmm. going to because you spoke of the word trends a while ago the word trendy the word authentic I feel like for some it's a, it's a very loaded term right Yeah. The, the third term that I actually wanted to get your take on was appropriation
1: <laughs> so
0: I wanted to get your take on yeah, this that
1: is one book in itself that is amazing appropriation
0: I yeah. wanted to get your take on yeah, did you yeah.
1: watch I don't know if that, you were aware of the pho that video whole, that came out that was really good, you know like I saw an article mm-hmm. i it's so right on which which article was this I don't know there's something about the discussion about it depends who is appropriating what mm-hmm. and it's like usually white people appropriating uh, culture or food yeah. from uh, people of color yeah and uh powerful people appropriating from less powerful like historically oppressed populations yeah yes and then they're the ones who get all the publicity the fame right and the credit right and then you know then they do mishmash right they don't even respect the food
0: so okay so i don't know so you you might not have seen the the bon appetit video that came out then
1: no. Okay, what so, so? so
0: this is what I want to get your take on. So what happened was Bon Appetit published the video. It was it by the way, people were enraged enough that it was taken down within like twenty four hours. Basically.
1: Mm. Is it about the pho? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Romy was telling yeah. me
0: about So there's a guy in Philly. You, how do you eat pho? Yeah, the guy the guy is in Philly, he's uh award winning chef apparently. He makes pho with like real chicken stock and then he shoots this video and he says this is the way to eat pho he's like don't put hoisin don't put sriracha put a lot of limes and when you eat it you gotta throw your chopsticks like like Italian like spaghetti and people were incensed because they were like first of all you didn't even mention that pho is Vietnamese you could have you could have like interviewed oh he
1: didn't even say it was
0: pho he said it was pho But nowhere in there was it mentioned that it's Vietnamese. They didn't mention the origins. And people were asking, there's so many great Vietnamese chefs in Philly. Mm -hmm. Could you not have asked any one of them? And so it was taken down. People were, people like tore it apart. They were like, this is cultural appropriation. Now this morning, I was in, I'm in a Facebook group of like food writers uh, from around the world. And one of them posted, is this really a thing? I think, you know, people should just get over it.
1: What's wrong if we cook there? No, I I think the outrage is healthy. You know, I I you know if people are outraged, they should be outraged. Mm-hmm. Is is it a valid argument when
0: people say we've been mixing our cultures for so long? Why are you so mad about this? Is there? Is well, there- as you
1: said, there was no need to credit. I mean, there was no. It's it, you know it's all the hidden nuances that that come out in that event right in that situation where I think people sense that arrogance or you know lack of respect Mm -hmm. I think those are the things that, that they are outraged by right yeah and I I guess if it I wonder if it were a Vietnamese American chef doing that, yeah. saying the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they would be so outraged, maybe, right? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. not.
0: But that's what I was trying to explain because, well, a lot of the people in that group were mostly, mostly white, right? And they were saying, "Well, are you saying only Asians can cook pho?" I'm like, "No, that's not the point." Right. If he wants to cook the well, food, that's fine. But sh-.
1: it's like guys saying, "I'm not sexist." Yeah you yeah. know or a white person saying, I don't I'm not racist <laughs> <laughs> like hello <laughs> you know because that's you know a, a, a real thinking person would probably say well you know I don't want to be racist but I'm sure growing up as a powerful member of of society and never experiencing what it means to be colored Mm -hmm. is you know that's something that has to be uh, acknowledged right so I think that came from the fact that it's a white person a Caucasian who's ignorant probably
0: that was actually the title of the backlash it was the ignorant white guy teaches us how to Exactly.
1: exactly, I think they're right. How would yeah. you
0: how would you characterize or describe the distinction between disrespectful cultural appropriation and healthy study of someone else? You know, when you when but, you talk about Raymond Sokolov and going to Mexico, if he comes back and cooks Mexican food, is he appropriating?
1: Well, you know, that's why I called my book "Memories of Philippine Kitchens." Mm-hmm because I was not going to claim that my book was the book for Philippine food. Mm. Okay? There is no way I will claim that. Mm -hmm. My claim is that those are my memories or those are the memories of my friends. Mm -hmm. So I am not saying that, you know, it's an acknowledgement of its limitations. I see. Okay? and respect for the food say you know i this food cannot be written up by one person in one book Mm -hmm. it it Mm can't so you you have the humility to understand that and you acknowledge that Mm -hmm. by putting the parameters now if this guy probably said well you know this is my take no, the, the no. original title see, was, this is how to eat food." No, see, that already was the mistake. He had said, as a white person liking this food, this is how I eat it. Yeah. I don't think there would be outrage. Right? Yeah, right. If, if he had phrased it that way. Mm-hmm. He's not telling everybody this is the right way to do it. Because nobody does. I am never going to say this is the right way to cook adobo are you kidding that's suicide
0: but I think that's that's why I think that that same mindset can be applied to, to even ourselves today because yeah. if you look at the comment section our own yes. Filipinos themselves will say that's not adobo
1: yeah this, well, a lot of people the, do that right yeah, and exactly they you know I, they should be cold the carpet because they do not know what adobo is
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know if they say, if they claim that, that their adobo is the only adobo, then they don't know what adobo is. Mm-hmm. Because for you to say that, you have to experience as many types of adobo. Right. But I am going to try in my next book, I am going to try and define the, the flavor profile of an adobo. Mm-hmm. Because for me, if it smells like... Adobo has to smell like adobo, right? And it has to... Which is very
0: hard to describe in and of itself. But you know know it, right? I don't know. When I go in the room, I'll know it's adobo, but like trying to explain... Oh my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I remember when Savour magazine asked me to write that essay on adobo. Yeah. This was before the book, right? And then they asked for a recipe, and they were cooking the, they were cooking the adobo in the kitchen, and yeah. I was going up the stairs. Yeah, and you could smell it. And the, the yeah. smell just, I said, oh my god. I said You're making adobo I can smell it yeah. So
0: <laughs> So I know guests are coming now And I want to be Respectful of the party That's about to come Okay So I kind of wanted to wrap up With some rapid fire questions That I normally ask Everybody on the show right? Okay So the questions are very quick You can answer them As quick as you want Or as long as you want Okay Okay So first question is Person who most influenced you From a culinary standpoint And why Um uh,
1: Alice Waters, mm, yeah, and uh, Jane Grigson, I think Alan Davidson and Elizabeth David. So I can see the connection with Alice Waters. Why the other names? Alice Waters is American, and she started the organic movement right, and the Chippenese, new American so. cuisine here. The three are all British, okay. and they yeah. uh, they wrote fantastic food essays. I see. Okay. And you know if you read Jane Gregson and she wrote those things like in the fifties and sixties mm-hmm. it's like she's writing them for now. Wow.
0: Okay. Yes, yes. Looks like I might have additional and reading one,
1: material. One of the things she says which sticks sticks to me. Yeah. Is that and it's very very educational. She says There's nothing wrong, inherently wrong or bad about fast food or processed food. Oh, okay. But my question is, because you need to feed the masses, right? right? Right. And it's a way to To preserve food and to preserve its nutrition and to to be able to uh, distribute it to as many people as possible. But she says, why does it have to be bad? So, Mm. there... You know, the companies that, that, that make processed foods, they have a choice. They can make it good. There should not be anything wrong with that.
0: Yeah. It should but be see just another they, way of preparation.
1: See, if they pack it with sugars and salts to cut costs, you know, so that it's unhealthy, it doesn't have to be unhealthy. It's what they do to it. Right. To make
0: money. Or make it addicting because that's when the flavor industry comes in, right? Yeah. Second question. Best kitchen tool you've purchased ever besides the knife?
1: Mortar and pestle and the wok. The wok? Why the wok? I love the wok. Okay, there are three things. The mortar, pestle, the wok, and le crusade. (laughs) (laughs) That's a guilty pleasure for everybody. Oh my God. I cannot cook without... (laughs) <laughs> pots. I'm
0: laughing because I made a joke about lecrese pots in a, in a different episode where I basically say like, like
1: besides that, because that's an aspirational guilty pleasure. Like it looks good on your. I, sh- I, you know, when I am not at home and I have to cook and I don't have the lecrese pots, the food doesn't come out well. <laughs> no. It's like there's no, there's no, no way. Sandals. There's no way. Okay.
0: Oh, uh, okay. I'm gonna like this one.
1: The walk is so good. I have a really good walk that's about 35 years old. Where'd you get it? It was given to me as a gift. Oh my gosh. And it's, I, I've tried to buy
0: new walks. No, that's why I was going to ask you because like my walks will last a year, maybe two.
1: And this is not their flat bottom walk. No, it's
0: the circle one. Yeah. You have the cast iron version of, of <laughs> so the walk. Good all right i I like this one you're gonna because i think you're gonna have the most expensive knowledge to answer this one three filipino ingredients to describe you
1: garlic (laughs) okay (laughs) okay Um, well i guess i guess salt
0: any specific kind of salt because i know it has to be sea salt okay
1: Sea salt is, is the best. Uh, ooh, what's the third one? Vinegar?
0: See, this is what I was expecting you to say first, this is vinegar. Okay. Any specific kind of vinegar.
1: See, actually, those three are adobo. <laughs> those are the three Did you plan to say this?
0: Did no, <laughs> I just realized it. Any any specific kind of vinegar? Because I know you there's I like love. 40 plus different oh, kinds God. that you're, you've already it's posted so before. It's so hard
1: to choose. Well, I, I I love apple cider vinegar. Really? Organic. Oh, I love it. Because I, I saw it. that in your first book and I was like, why is she saying apple cider?
0: Because that's what I used to use for my adobos because I couldn't find coconut vinegar here. Yeah. So yeah. I used apple cider vinegar and I thought I was doing something wrong
1: in the Philippines the Sukang iloko, we I get that's the best vinegar you can what's get what's it made in. of? Sukang iloko. it's a sugar cane a sugar cane. but it's from this particular producer ah. because it's aged for one year it's the best isn't
0: that very strong then?
1: yeah, yeah. but it's if it's aged it's not that strong ah okay it's so good okay. you know Sukong iloko that's properly aged and properly done. It's better than balsamic vinegar. It's. Yeah, I so never really like
0: balsamic, so I don't know if that's gonna. Yeah, swear well, me. you know, <laughs> that's true. But maybe that's because I haven't had real.
1: Re- Most people don't really know what real balsamic that, vinegar. including
0: me, because the ones you get for the store. I are have not...
1: one, but I've never opened it because it's so expensive. No, I
0: wouldn't either. <laughs> Next question.
1: It's like $60 for a little vial. No, you
0: know it's real. One book, documentary, or basically any resource that you think the common person would benefit from.
1: Besides your book. Oh, boy. Well, Alan Davidson's Oxford Companion to Food. Mm. Okay.
0: And, and for, for people who are listening that don't know what that is, what, what does that cover?
1: It's like a, it's like a reference book. Okay. Uh, very interesting actually Mm -hmm. but it's this thick oh
0: oh yeah all good resources but
1: uh, it's it's really Alan Davidson is a is a is a god (laughs) have you met him? no he's dead for me that's why when they asked me to contribute to the Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweet I was like in heaven (laughs) that that (laughs) That and another Oxford by savoring Gotham, Uh, I I will always treasure those. Yeah. Because now I feel that's why for years I felt like I could not do another book because I didn't think I could ever top memories. Yeah. But then it was good that I was asked to write those two books because uh, those not books but the two two entries. And for me, I, I was able to... I think I have progressed a lot as a writer because of those two. Because when I... Uh, I had a really tough editor for the Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets.
0: Oh my gosh, we could do a whole podcast episode on writing alone, on
1: food she writing alone. wrongly dry. <laughs> Every, I had to rewrite the whole thing. I was so I was so devastated. <laughs> you know like oh my God I like, am I, I that be, bad? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was that bad right So I was like everything. Uh, in the Philippines, where is the Philippines? <laughs> everything there was all, something wrong with what, with, what you yeah. writing yeah yeah okay so but you know what? That experience was so good for me. I learned. Mm-hmm. Do you know when they asked me to write Savoring Gotham, mm-hmm. they made two corrections. That's it.
0: Because and you credit that to your your editor? Yes,
1: because I already knew how to write. Ah. For that kind of book. Ah. I already like that woman yeah, it, who edited me taught me everything yeah. how to write. For a reference book, it's a trial by fire. What's good about it is it's a reference book. Okay. It's not your opinions.
0: Well, that's what I mean. I think that's what makes it doubly tough because you can't just you can't just spout anything you Uh want,
1: right? Everything had to be supported. Yeah. And I really like that. That's why you know when I write, uh, and I always make sure that. I indicate whether it is my opinion. And, or you can support. Or that. how, yes. Uh, how I got to that conclusion.
0: Yeah.
1: And and then I, I put my references.
0: Going on the topic of books, right? So let's say 50 years from now, someone was going to write, I don't know, let's even further forward. 200 years from now, someone was going to write the story of Purple Yam or the story wow. of. Amy Bessa. However, the caveat here is that they could only write one line. The story Purple Am in one line. What do you think that one line would be? We tried. (laughs) I like how you answered really fast, so it's either one. Someone asked you this before.
1: No. (laughs) You know, we tried.
0: (laughs) That's really cool because going again to that like endless learning right it's like you never really feel like you've made it like this is it you know
1: I like that we're trying that's
0: not even that's two words I think that's the shortest answer we've ever heard
1: yeah
0: on the episode
1: and that's the essence of what we're doing we're We're just trying we're trying to do (laughs) what we want to do and we're trying to accomplish what we try to accomplish yeah we try yeah most people don't even try Uh Ah, that's a good point that's a good point you're right you know when people are trying Uh and you know when they're not Uh, I
0: remember because I remember two years ago sitting at the table actually right behind this when I was like man I don't even think I can I think I'm gonna stick to this accounting and just give this all up but it it resonates last question it's a purely logistical one where can people follow your story? are you obviously your Instagram yeah Facebook What's your What's your Instagram account? Do you remember? ABC Besa. Besa. And then your website is Purple M NYC, or is there? Yeah. So that's website, Instagram, Facebook. They can add you. Books. The books. <laughs>
1: when When is the second one coming out? Is there a I date? Don't know. Ah, no. Still... Actually, what I was going to do is, if I, when I meet with them, is to propose another two books. Two third... on top of this Or one more on top of this Yeah well a After third book, this basically. A third book I, I'd like to finish it off And I think that's it
0: what, what, What's the third book gonna be? Uh,
1: really more like A retrospective Of what we've done Ah because...
0: See that's, that's what I mean
1: You should title it We
0: Tried The title should be Purple Yam We it's Tried It's Purple
1: Yam It's Andreon too
0: That's true Yes We Tried Maybe <laughs> best Bessa Jeff Fromm
1: it was an honest attempt,
0: <laughs> and I think I think it was a wonderful attempt.
1: It was, and it's got a it lot. It was a, ride. It's it got, was a ride. The, the ride is not ending
0: anytime soon. <laughs>
1: there, it was for, quite for a us ride. For fortunate yeah. onlookers and participants,
0: <laughs> so we had a lot going on around us today. But thank you so much for the time. Yeah. As always, well, it's it always fun. a pleasure. Yeah,
1: you are yes. doing good.